Welcome to Millions of Screens and welcome to the new year. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia. Join as always by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. It's great to be back. Golden Globes in a couple of days. We're pumped. We're slight. Leo and I are going to the Golden Globes, Ben. Wow. I asked earlier today if I had to wear a tux. The answer was? Sadly, yes. no. Ah. I just really like to imagine the tuxedo that Leo would wear if he had to wear a tuxedo. To sit backstage. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the press room at the Golden Globes. in the press room and like make videos very quickly. Uh, I'd wear something with tails probably. I would hope so. I, if you wore anything less. The thing about a tails tux is that the front is short. Right. Like, but it's just, it's going to make you look even taller. Like you're going to look like a giant. This is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Now it's time for the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Ben, you pointed this out. Netflix released their sort of end of year list of what was most popular on the platform. How do we trust any of the numbers that Netflix releases? Oh, you absolutely can't. Okay. We can't We can't trust any of the numbers, but the numbers are still telling a story. Like what's interesting about this whole year of Netflix releasing some form of data about like how many people are watching its shows has been kind of breaking down, okay, so why did you do that? And is it like, is it a timing issue? Like when they see us release really big numbers right in the heat of the Emmy race? Um, is it is it something to support a show or a, a movie that people like seem to have forgotten about that have flown under the radar? Um, and obviously at the end of the year, they're just kind of bragging about a lot of the stuff that they release to, to try to, you know, remind people, hey, these are really popular things. Uh, you should respect us and you should, you should, uh, value the content that we're providing because look at all of these things that everybody's watching. And the interesting thing to me about the list that they released was especially the first one where it's their 10 most popular releases of 2019. And you see murder mystery at number one, you see stranger things at, uh, at stranger things three, as they put it at number two, uh, you see six underground at number three, which is like, okay, that's weird, but okay, sure. Um, but then people, you get number people four. People love Ryan Reynolds. That's okay. True. Uh, but then you get to number. <laughs> Wait, do you want to dispute that? <laughs> it sounded like she wanted. It sounded like Libby wanted to dispute that. Uh, but no, like when you get to number four, they have the Incredibles two listed. So suddenly you realize that they're not just listing their own originals, and they're like, okay, so why are they releasing a list where they're bragging about a movie that's about to go to Disney Plus right? and be taken away from them? Why are they bragging about that? Well, because they're saying that Six Underground, Stranger Things 3, and Murder Mystery were all more popular than this very well-vetted, very well-known, very popular movie. And they want you to kind of see those comparisons because it's very hard to understand just how popular a Netflix property is, whether you trust the numbers or not, because you don't have anything that, that compares apples to oranges. And then you look at these lists and you're like, well, at least this is what Netflix values in some way. So we're probably going to be seeing more of these things. And on the TV side, you kind of knew we were going to get more Stranger Things 3, but seeing The Witcher, which just came out 10 days ago, listed as their second most popular title of the year. And yeah, they greenlit season two before it even came out. So they knew that they had something here well before it happened. Um, but we're probably going to see more things like that too. We're going to see a lot more of these. I mean, those, those are two science fiction shows at the top of the list. And, you know, I mean, three, if you count the umbrella Academy, which is kind of like a superhero science fiction blend, and then you've got dead to me, which 
I don't understand. Uh, but it's it's a very it's very interesting to see kind of what are the hits that Netflix is at least proud of, even if you can't look at it and be like, okay, these are clearly monstrosities that everybody watched. It's just like, well, they worked for Netflix and they're they're happy with it. You can't trust those numbers. You could like whenever they release something that can't be checked, you can't trust it unless there's a third party involved. But um, I do think it's interesting to see at least what they're extremely proud of and to have a nice reminder that triple frontier was a movie that opened this year that apparently a lot of people watch triple Fun- frontier i've had to re-download on my ipad three times to not watch <laughs> had to well i re-download. mean if that counts if that counts in I've their numbers it. i've seen right. it three times yeah well and that is the other that is the other portion of this metric uh, apparently according to leslie goldberg at thr um these this popularity was based on subscribers who watched two minutes of a film or episode in the first 28 days of its release. And that's how they gauge its popularity for stuff like you and the Witcher, which hasn't been out 28 days yet. It's kind of an algorithm where so they, much of the user base has, has, has seen it in the first 10 days or two days. Right. So then they <laughs> can predict that it's going to uh, reach a certain amount, but that's not how we track viewership traditionally so again it, it's not like even if you did believe the numbers exactly and there if even if they'd get given exact numbers for how many people had watched you can't really use that to compare to what else is out there so uh speaking of numbers you can't trust um there's a business insider article <laughs> that has uh is using something called parrot <clears throat> analytics oh yeah parrot's pretty popular to state that the witcher dethroned the Mandalorian as the most popular show in television with 127 million demand expressions in its first 10 days of a So what is that? Twitter? Social media? (laughs) Google? I don't know, but the the real key... So we don't even know. I don't know, but the real key part of this this article is the last sentence which states, not all the reviews have been bad. IndieWire's Ben Travers wrote that The Witcher is a pretty entertaining spectacle. I do stand by that that poll quote. Um, as we discussed off pod, off mic, Leo would have given it <laughs> a far better review had he chosen to uh, to make the time for that. But um, but yeah, The Witcher's <laughs> Witcher's a lot of fun, you guys. I um, doesn't make a lick of sense, but that's a lot of fun. You are you are the one reviewer out there in the wilderness right now, standing the Witcher. I've been I've been Tossing the one a before. Tossing coin to his Witcher. Oh, fuck, that song is bad. Toss a coin to I Ben Travers. <laughs> <laughs> Toss a coin to Ben Travers. This is our last pod. <laughs> Do you think? Okay, so obviously we're at the end of the year, but also the Mandalorian just finished its first season um, Friday. Yep. And then, so then we get these numbers. Like I saw a lot of people, baby Yoda, (laughs) thank you. I saw a lot of people talking about how Disney might've fumbled their new, their original content because the Mandalorian ended and there was nothing really to step into that vacuum um, on Disney plus for viewers to just keep on watching. It's their choices are, all right, well, we'll go back to Marvel. And a lot of people have said, I, I've, I saw a lot of chatter online about, oh, well, now I can go back to Netflix. Now I can go back to Netflix and watch things. Um, do you think Netflix knows that people are itchy? And like, this is their sort of, as you said, Ben, 
kind of staking their claim and, and being like, well, we have a lot more shows. We have a lot of shows that people watched even more than. Um, I, I think that the timing is uh, pointed, I would say. So I'd, I'd agree with that. I would also say that uh, I think as we talked about before, when we were talking about the streaming wars, um, Disney was always going to coast on its library content. Right. So I don't really think it's a problem that the Mandalorian ended and there's not a, you know, a, an MCU show launching this week. Um, I think that they're fine because they, they use that show perfectly to capture a, anybody who wasn't automatically going to subscribe anyway. And now that they've subscribed, they know what's there and they're going to keep finding things on Disney and Disney will keep releasing, you know, the different things from its library that aren't accessible yet over the next month or whatever it is until they've got a new original. Meanwhile, yeah, Netflix, I don't think they ever were, I don't think they ever should have worried or should be that worried about Disney specifically. Um, they just need to take care of their own business. Like as right. long as they keep pumping out a lot of originals and a lot of originals that kind of catch the zeitgeist for at least, you know, those two or three weeks around their release date, I think they'll be fine. Right. Um, they, they've got the edge in, in production, whereas uh, they, they are still building their library of must-sees. So. Right. I would say it's very interesting to me to watch how Disney Plus sort of played out that uh, the two months of The Mandalorian, uh, because it, it seems like uh, the conversation kind of stayed at a, at a certain level and, and, and it continued throughout, um, as opposed to something like The Witcher. I'm, I'm really interested if we're still talking about The Witcher, you know, in two months. Um, oh, Ben's shaking his head. Did no. you say yes? No, I, I would. I would agree that no one will be talking about The Witcher in two months. I think people will still be talking about Baby Yoda in two months. But that, that's also a cultural phenomenon. The Witcher doesn't have anything like that. I mean, uh, they did. unless it's Henry Cavill bathing. Yeah. I'm not mad at. I'm not <laughs> mad at it. I I will always be a, a strong advocate for the weekly weekly release. I think that the that Baby Yoda is obviously its own thing, but I do think that the reason we kept talking about the Mandalorian throughout that rollout was exactly why Disney rolled it out the way they did. Um, it, it, that weekly release demands people react to it again and again and again and again for a long mm -hmm. period of time, which eventually wears people down. They're like, okay, fine. I'll watch the Mandalorian. And then they subscribe and they need that for those first two months right. while the service is launching. So um, Netflix obviously is just going to keep releasing new things every Friday, they're doing a lot more, as we see at the beginning of this year, they're doing a lot more releases in the middle of the week, as opposed yeah. to just on Friday. So they're just always, they're just all, they're yep. just always, they're just always more TV. Yeah. So instead, they're not relying on, on a weekly release to, to build traction around shows so much as they're relying on shows to build traction around Netflix, just an onslaught of new programming for everyone to enjoy, except the people who have to write about it. Keep I love up. the idea of Libby, Libby just uh, penned or coined Netflix's new slogan, which is Netflix. We're just always. <laughs> <laughs> just always like yeah. always everywhere all the time. Yeah. When you need us, we're here. So Libby, <laughs> before we started recording, you were bemoaning the sort of truncated award season uh, due to the fact that the Oscars are three weeks earlier than they normally are. Yes. On February 9th. Uh, which really doesn't affect the Globes, which would normally take place this early. Right. But it does affect TCAs and other other sort of press. Everything else. Like, I, I think something that's interesting is is how film decisions affect 
the the TV world because again with the Oscars three weeks earlier that means that all of the guilds need to have their award ceremonies um, in a tr in that truncated period and most of those award ceremonies also are awarding television um, so that's one thing so everyone is rushing alongside the film publicist but on the other end of that and and this is more. I guess a nod towards the the industry listeners that we have is that um, the Television Critics Association tour, winter tour, is starts January 7th and runs for about two weeks. So now will take place simultaneously as a bunch of guild things, meaning that publicists from smaller networks that don't have separate awards teams are going to be working like triple time because they have all of the guilds going on. They have tele they have TCA going on. And um, throw a coin to your publicists, people, because it's rough out there. And it's rough to have to just follow along in whatever film is doing until Emmy season starts in earnest. Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that I think the only day I didn't get an email from a publicist over like the, the holiday break was Christmas Day. Yeah. I think every other day I got something and it was because I had to. It's yeah. because they're, they're, we have to plan for the TCAs because they're coming. We have to plan for the releases that are coming. We have to plan for, you know, the screeners and the awards and the guilds and all of that. There's something going on. Right. So, like, as opposed to before when you could wait a little bit and stretch that out and either get it in kind of early or wait until January rolls around, you can't do that this year. So it's just a, it's a cluster. I feel so bad. And there's so many publicists who work on both too, who yeah. work on film and TV. So yeah. they're just doubly crunched. And It was bad. You know, we, we spoke on the podcast earlier this year about how Hollywood sort of shuts down, you know, over the holidays. That's kind of a misnomer, especially for those, a lot of those people who are working the hardest in the industry. Um, they especially are this year. Yeah. no exactly especially be on their abbreviated schedule and it's just uh you know you get those emails for interview requests or whatever and they're annoying and then you stop and you, you think oh they that's their job like they had to send that to me they are also working and and um yeah it's just it was very depressing Guys, with the Golden Globes Sunday, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to just sort of chat through what you guys are thinking is interesting about the show, whether it is like things that have to win. I think what's interesting is when you when you watch the Globes, so much of it is focused on film because you're trying to read the tea leaves for the Oscar race. And as we've talked about before with the Globes, there's not necessarily a one to one, you know, ratio of, hey, they wanted the Globes. They're going to get some traction at the Emmys. Um so when the TV stuff rolls around, it's kind of hard to discern what you should be surprised by or excited about, or is that an upset? Was that predicted? What do we expect? And it is hard to predict these Libby's reactions. Again, we need a video podcast. She's just like, I don't want to, like, I can't, like, this is a I lot. Think it's, it is. Like, I'm just looking at these nominees and I'm like, it, it just doesn't. You can make a case. Where you can, there's a case where, like, anything nominated essentially could win. And it w shouldn't be surprising. Right, right. Because it's, right. it's the Globes. Um, so I was hoping, like, I think we can, what we can talk about a little bit is just to help prepare everybody for, for Sunday and give them an idea of, okay, these are kind of what we're expecting. This is the wild card scenario of what could happen. And this is kind of what is important to either the network or the show or the actor, like whoever, you know, is nominated, what's important to them about winning or did, you know, was the nomination their win or, or that kind of thing. And I, I think starting with the TV drama race, Libby, like you've got those three contenders that really spring out as they could all be front runners. You've got right. the crown, which has four nominations tied for the most with unbelievable and Chernobyl. 
Uh, you've got The Morning Show, which is Apple's new prestige drama. It got three nominations. You know, it, it's it's a contender. And then you've got Succession, which is kind of the critics' favorite. Um, it's HBO's, you know, prime contender, uh, unless you think, you know, Big Little Lies is going to stun us. But of those three, what, what do you think is kind of the most, like, which one wants this the most? Who really need, feels like they need a win here? I mean, I, I think the easy answer is, is Morning Show. Uh I think they would like to keep that momentum going uh, just because this was always trying angling uh, positioning itself as an awards player was always what Apple's programming was, was kind of set out, appeared to be uh, designed to do. And uh, so I think the morning show would benefit most from this. I think it is definitely the kind of thing that the HPFPA goes for, but Ben, before we started recording, you made a great point about why you're not entirely confident that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've, uh, well, by the time, well, no, not even by the time this comes out, but I will be on the record saying that Succession is going to win as my prediction. And I think it's important for Succession to win because it got snubbed at the SAGs yeah. and it needs to gain some traction from a phenomenal season two before the Emmy race starts. Otherwise it's going to be kind of, it's going to be seen as a little bit more difficult to generate that momentum, even though they did well better than a lot of people expected in their first year at the Emmys winning, you know, the writing award and the score. Um, But because the morning show only has three nominations and it missed out on Steve Carell, which seemed like a big name that the Globes obviously love and would love to have in the ceremony because Billy Crudup didn't make the cut uh, after uh, intense campaigning that worked with the SAG somehow. Um, because it was only uh, race, gen, and drama series, it feels like it's a little bit weaker than it could have been if it was going to be, you know, the apple of the HFPA's eye. Uh, so I, I think Succession can pull this off, and yet at the same time, uh, and I think it needs to. Like, I think that Succession individually uh feels just as important for them to win as it does for the morning show and Apple. Like Apple and morning show are tied together as one where it's succession, you know, it's kind of its own little thing for for HBO. But, um, but you know, it could still be the crown. Like they're just that, that's a, that's a classic globes show. They've loved it every year. It made a big resurgence in season three, thanks to the cast turnover. Um, but that one to me just feels like, Netflix is happy with that. They're doing great. They're going to continue to rake in a lot of technical awards. Right. They're going to get a ton of nominations. They could steal a couple of wins. Um, but it does feel like Morning Show and Succession need this a little bit more than than The Crown. Right. And ben, you looked up some because the the Crown would have won, skipped a year, and then if it did win again, and on, the last show that did this was The X Files back in the early '90s. And uh, you know, it's worth noting again the globes don't really like to repeat there's not a ton of repeat winners in general but when they do repeat it's usually back to back or you know with mad men three years in a row um not like not a lot the only one ever in the drama series race to to win lose and then win again is the x-files so for the crown to do that you know the the cast turnover you know the reset kind of seems to help the idea of of making that a a more plausible right um but it would still be a pretty uh historically surprising turn of events. Right, right. So for comedy, it feels like, uh, it's strange that, I I think it's weird that we didn't see more turnover in the comedy category. 
Uh, especially given how strong a year comedy had with Russian Doll on Netflix, you had Pen15 on Hulu, uh, you had, I don't know, the other two on Comedy Central. And yet we have a lot of holdovers in comedy um, from Barry, Kaminsky Method, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Fleabag gets in there, obviously, after it's barnstorming 2019. Uh, has never been nominated before. So that is technically a new contender. And also Netflix is the politician. Uh, Ryan Murphy's first series for the for the streamer has made it into this category. Leo, what do you think? I don't have opinions. Uh, but yes, uh, my, question, my question, I think it's Fleabag, but my question to you, <laughs> Libby, is... Uh, you've talked about the HFPA sort of want to be the kingmaker and the fact that Fleabag was awarded so handsomely on at the Emmys last year. Does that affect how this voting block is going to treat this category? And and we'll see the Kaminsky method win again? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. They'll be like, we continue to stand Kaminsky method. I thought Kaminsky was going to be the one and done. I yeah. thought it was going yeah, to be one last year. I thought it was going to get shut out this yeah. year and it stays. It's, it. it's either going to award something that's already been awarded in a barrier, Mrs. Maisel, or it's going to be, I'm going to, we're going to repeat or we're going to do what the Emmys just did or the politician. Those are the questions. Those I, are your options. Well, I, to, to just to clarify, um, sorry, and I think I might have uh, misrepresented that misrepresented this. Barry has never won at the Golden Globes. Not even hater. Not even hater. So they so so that's possible. They could go that way, but again, it would be for the show's second season, which I don't know. I also don't know how how strongly Barry played the the HFPA game. I don't know how engaged they were, how many events they were doing. Um, I, I, I kind of lean towards Fleabag on this just because it's a little like Fleabag being everyone's number one at the end of the year. Like people may not have liked to have the same answer as everyone else, but it's a little bit undeniable. And I think in this case, the fact that the Emmys awarded it gives the Globes permission to award it, you know, in a strange kind of backwards way. Not that they've ever needed permission for anything, but it, it just... I don't know. It doesn't feel right inside, but I don't, nothing else feels better. Yeah, there wasn't a, again, there wasn't another show that just kind of stormed the gates and was like, oh, wow, they really loved that show. Like, The Politician could have been that if it would have gotten more than two nominations, right. but the fact that it was only Platt and uh, comedy series, and it's like... not even Paltrow. No, which you thought was kind of an easy pick right. for the HFPA. So... Um, it seems a little bit weaker than it should be. That's still, to me, the one, just because it's new, just because it's Ryan Murphy, just because Netflix kind of needs it, again, to to win something, to kind of keep it on the awards radar. Um, that could upset Fleabag, but I'm with you. I think I think it's it's Fleabag's the, uh, has to be the favorite at this point. And it's it's a British show. Like, this is the yeah. HF, this is the Hollywood Foreign Press. Like, they want to recognize things that are, um, you know, at least... A little bit outside of, of right. you know, just an American show. So, um, so Fleabag kind of fits the mold. I I do think that when we get to the actress race, we might see an upset. Um, you know, Phoebe Waller Bridge kind of seems again like you'd have to give it to her. Like she's just she's the face and of that show in right. every way possible. Um, but you know, it's the Globes. 
They yeah. may want to throw a curveball, and you've got Kiki Dunst sitting right there right. for On Becoming a God, which would be great to see. So, That's or my pick, Christina Applegate for Dead to Me. God damn it, Leo! <laughs> Go sit outside. Uh, all right, so moving on to what I think is the third sort of big tentpole, uh, and probably the most con- sort of contested race potentially, miniseries or television film. Yeah, this film. one's fun. This one's nutty. This one's great. It also has the two the two shows that were nominated the most, Chernobyl and Unbelievable. Tied with the crown for Tied four with four. Four. Going against each other. Great. Um, and then I think some shows that like were forgotten. Uh, Catch twenty two in the loudest voice. Yeah. So overlooked, some might say. <laughs> and no then, one in this room, but some. Some. And then uh, Libby Hill favorite, Fosse Verdon. Yes. With your girl. With my girl. So what are you guys thinking on this? Where, where are your heads at? And who need? I guess, who needs this more at this point? In terms of need, it seems like unbelievable, just because it's new. Just right. because Chernobyl got 10 Emmys. Um, yeah, everybody has loved it, watched it, talked about it. There's not a prequel or sequel coming that I can imagine Ooh. or be aware of. Um, Unbelievable's, I mean, I don't. I don't think it's going to become like a franchise or anything like that. It's a no. true story. But um, at the same time, this is its first go. Like this is its first kind of big award show. Right. Um, it's obviously beloved by the Globes, getting those all four nods, like considering all three of the leads got in. Right. Uh, Tony Collette went supporting, you know, to make sure. But supporting is one of the, if not the hardest race to break into. And she did. So clearly they really love that show. And yet you've got Chernobyl sitting there, which has been kind of the, um, just the dynamite hit of the year. Right. So um, I, I, I I go with the freshman whenever it's kind of this close, but yeah. Libby, I'd love to hear some theories. I, You know, I'm feeling the same way. This feels definitely like a category that we talk about a lot when it comes to the Globes. It's something where there's a bunch of, there, there are several tried and true um, winners. Uh, Chernobyl, obviously 10 Emmys. Bossy Verdon was very beloved. And honestly, would not be a shocking pick for them here. It definitely feels like the Golden Globes kind of series. Um, but yeah, unbelievable. They can be the very first to, to give it a, that boost. They can um, put it on people's radar, which is important because it has a very forgettable name. It's very difficult for me who watched and loved the show to sometimes to remember what the name of it is. Uh, so if it was Golden Globe winner, unbelievable, I think that would be a little more helpful. Um, and and that's, that's the takeaway here. The only two that are continuing on in the Emmy race are unbelievable and The Loudest Voice. The Loudest Voice was not a good series. Uh, it's difficult, I think, for people to make fiction about that era of America right now. If Vice and uh, Bombshell and The Loudest Voice have taught us anything. Yeah, I think it would be, I think that would be a, a real curveball if yeah. Showtime pulled off a victory with yes. these contenders. And I, I mean, this race would have been even more exciting had When They See Us gotten into it because, one, it was, you know, a beloved show by many and right. widely respected and uh, had a lot of great people 
working within it, giving tremendous performances. Who knew, like if, if you know, Gerald Jerome would have been rightly nominated in the category, you know, he would have been um, probably the favorite there, and that could have swung the tide a bit. Uh, but because that was shut out, it does seem like it's kind of a two-horse race. Whereas, again, since When They See Us didn't win limited series at the Emmys, the Globes could have made up for right. that, and that would have given it, a, you know, that could have given it an edge over these other two, even if it didn't get four nominations. Um, so, you know, with that out, it does really feel like it's going to be unbelievable or Chernobyl, and you know, we'll see what happens when they read the cards, but. Uh, I am kind of, I'm, I'm personally just hoping to see Unbelievable win because I want to get it, that extra traction. I was yeah. happy to see it on those Netflix lists saying it's oh, one yeah. of the most watched shows uh, of the year. But, um, so I, people are watching and that's great, but I, I still feel like it's, it'd be great to keep it in the conversation as, as uh, you know, award season rolls on. Uh, all right, so let's just go real quick. Oh boy. Rapid fire. Okay. Ben, do you have your sheet out since you've already done your predictions? Yeah, where are we starting? Let's start with best series just to get it out of the way. Ben, you go first. Uh, drama series? Drama series. Succession. Libby? Morning show. I'm also going morning show. Comedy. Ben? Oh, um, we went out of our flea bag. Libby? Flea bag. Leo, flea bag. All right, miniseries or television film? They're all miniseries. Unbelievable. 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 Best actor, TV series, drama? Ryan Cox. Rami Malik. Guys, get Harrington. <laughs> It's going to be so embarrassing when well, he beats us. Well, he is. Yeah, the, he is the name on the list that I just keep looking at. I'm like, I know. it wouldn't make any fucking sense. And that's exactly why he'd win. I know. Uh, best actress TV series drama? Uh, Jennifer Aniston. Olivia Coleman. This one's, those two would be, that's where I'm splitting the difference. And I'm going uh, Jen Aniston with Ben. Sorry. Uh, best actor TV series comedy. I'm going with Ben Platt. Whoa. I'm going with Bill Hader. My heart wants to say Paul Rudd and Living With Yourself just to get that millions of screens bump. But I am also going with Bill Hader. Great. I hope you're right. <laughs> That's the spirit. My, uh, my write-up on that was that uh, Ryan Murphy came up with not one, but two scenes that are completely devoted to watching Ben Platt sing. So uh, if he doesn't win, that just means that those scenes were as useless to the HFBA as they were to everybody else. Nailed it. You know what? Yeah. As the Rube, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't want to have the same answer. I'm going to say Paul Rudd and Living With Yourself. Oh, good. <laughs> love it. I uh, love it. Just because I will kick go myself. Paul. I will kick myself oh, yeah, if yeah, he yeah. wins. Uh, best actress, TV series, comedy. We already know where, where Ben's going. Yeah. Kiki Duds. <laughs> I'm going to go Natasha Leone. Oh, wow. Uh, and I will go with the, what is the safe bet here, I think, in Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think maybe we have... <laughs> chosen a, a poor strategy in going up against Leo. <laughs> yep, always. Why? I picked two wild cards in Kit and Paul. That's uh, it should be. Right. Logical wild cards. All right, best actor in miniseries. Who you got, Ben? Actor. Uh, Jared Harris. Jared Harris. I think I'm gonna, this is gonna be another triumvirate. I'm going Jared Harris. I just don't see any of those other people winning this category. I was thinking about it. Yeah, I be, thought yeah, real hard about that'd be it. The one. That would be the that would be your Kit Harrington in this category. Yeah, yeah, after yeah. after his speech about Facebook being evil, like is there enough there? Is there enough heat? I like it. Do people want to see him see him get up there and give a speech? Probably. I don't think that I don't think that uh drives the HFPA as much as we might think. But maybe. Their viewership's still high, so So true. You know what? I'm gonna 
I'm going to switch. Uh, no, not to Sasha. I'm going to switch to Sam Rockwell. I was keep thinking talking. about that. I'm going to switch to Sam Rockwell. I like how we keep talking, Leo, and this switch. <laughs> you guys are just talking me into either a very bad score or a very good score. Yeah, that's terrifying. We only have ourselves to blame either yeah. way. All right. Best actress miniseries? Uh, Michelle Williams. Uh, Merritt Weaver for Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm going with Libby Merritt Weaver. All right. Best supporting actor, series, miniseries, or television film? Oh, I'm going with the hot priest. Andrew Scott. Hot priest. Oh, I'm going with Skarsgård. I'm going hot priest as well. Andrew Scott. <laughs> and now best supporting actress, series, miniseries, or television film. Helena Bonham Carter, who it should be noted, has been nominated eight times for a Golden Globe and never won. Whoa. Emily Watson has been nominated five times and never won. Meryl Streep. Love it. She's won. <laughs> Has she won? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but <laughs> I'm sure yes. she's won. I really want to go Meryl Streep with Libby again. But I feel Tony. Like Tony Collette. Do I was it. looking at... <sighs> I'm doing Tony Collette. Yeah. Unbelievable. That'll, so yeah, I'll have the two unbelievable, no, three unbelievable. I'm going Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. I am. See, so, my problem with my picks so far is that I, I only have unbelievable winning limited series, and I think it would win two but I, I, so I, don't, I, I can't decide if it's Tony I don't know. or Merritt. I think we're all going to do horribly. So what is, is it sandwich bet? And then you're allowed one change. <laughs> Whoa, one. You're allowed one, one change. change before the awards. So if you want to go back to Merrill, if you want to go... Phoebe. If you want to go Phoebe, you can. No, it's Kiki. I'm sticking with her. No, you're not changing. Yours, yours are locked and loaded, buddy. Yeah, yours are published on yours the are, site. Yeah. You don't get to change. I can change it. Yours are in WordPress. I haven't ready, even submitted it for an edit yet. Ready to go. And Donnie, has no idea I've written this. Well, guys, it's time for our the way we, we bookend every episode. I guess, no, we wouldn't bookend it. It's the way we end every episode. Uh, a little wakeboarding with Andowd. Is there any leftovers, uh, ephemera? And Dowd is in a film called Speed of Life, which is coming out January 10th, 2020. Um, she is top billed. So keep that in mind. Her other films in the 2020 slate include Rebecca, directed by Ben Wheatley, from a script by Jane Goldman. Is she playing Mrs. Danvers? She is. Nope. Or... That's Kristen Scott Thomas. And Dowd is playing Mrs. Van Hopper. And finally, Andal will be in Fran Kranz's Mass, co-starring Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. Oh, boy. So we've got some Andowd movies on the way. Everybody Lucius should Malfoy. be excited about that. Andowd remains Earth's perfect person. Is that too much? Too far? She's our Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> yes. She's the Dr. Manhattan we have. I'd go along with that. Uh... And now uh, for the final thing we do every every week. Great, uh, Libby. Yes. Do you have a show on Quibi yet? You know, that's an excellent question, Leo. And I'm so glad you asked it because there was there was that list of like filmmakers, and right. Catherine Hard Hardwick mentioned that she's working on a super fun Quibi series. And I was like, right. is, the, is it with Libby? Right. No, unfortunately, it's not. Oh, it's not. I can't don't be super have... fun then. It can be regular fun. Oh, I don't have a 
You know, I don't have a Quibi series yet, but you know, I don't really even want one. Like I don't even need one, really. It's their loss. It's their loss. Their loss and our gain. Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review, put a couple of stars. I think we need it. I'm not sure how podcasts work nowadays. No, we're doing great. Yeah, we're doing good. Cool, cool, cool. Um, this is Ben, Libby, and Leo reminding you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> <laughs>